The big second half for Notre Dame. And the Irish are headed back to the Final Four. That's how it sounded last night on ESPN2 as the Fighting Irish play catch-up and go back to the Final Four. Baylor, of course, thumping Iowa, so the Final Four field is set, just as it is on the men's side. Notre Dame, UConn, Baylor, Oregon. The Final Four team standing in Women's Division I college basketball. It is the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for hanging out with us on your Tuesday afternoon. As always, we have a great show in store for you. In a couple of minutes, I'll be joined by Will Tiemann, the radio play-by-play voice of Michigan State men's basketball. Sparty gearing up for a trip to the Final Four in Minneapolis this weekend. Hear that interview coming up in about 15 minutes. But first, let's break down the Final Four a little bit. Both Final Fours will tip off this weekend, the women Friday and Sunday, the men Saturday and Monday. On the women's side of things, they get it going at 7 Friday night with Oregon and Baylor, and then another Notre Dame-UConn game. That game will tip off at 9 on Friday night. A little bit extra on the line when those two teams will meet up because of the verbal jabs that have been exchanged by both coaches, Gino Oriema, Muffet McGraw. If you haven't heard about that, Gino Oriema complains about the lack of males, like men, that have been on Muffet McGraw's staffs at Notre Dame. I'm not telling you how to think, I'm just letting you know what's going on. A lot of people haven't heard about this sparring war verbally between Muffet and Gino. But they're going to play on Friday night. Their teams meet with a trip to the national championship on the line. They'll do their frigid handshake at the end of the game. Brief, little eye contact. No matter who wins, it's going to be a tense moment. So the women got the usual suspects in the Final Four. None of those teams are shocks. They were all teams that were going to compete for championships at the beginning of the season, and they're teams that are competing for a championship in reality. They're all one and two seeds. Not the case on the men's side of things. You've got Michigan State, a two that arguably should have been a one. You've got Virginia, who is a one seed. Then Auburn and Texas Tech. For ratings purposes, college basketball is praying that we don't get a Texas Tech-Auburn final. And I know a lot of you are feeling the same way because if we do have a Texas Tech-Auburn final, it means Michigan State would get bounced on Saturday. I believe the national championship will be decided in the semifinal featuring Michigan State and Texas Tech. I really think those are the two best teams left in the tournament. People are high on Virginia in this final four. Despite winning 30-plus games, losing three, they have a one seed. Most power rankings are putting them as fourth out of the four that are going to Minneapolis on Saturday night. A lot of people are picking Auburn in this game. A lot of people think it's going to be Auburn and whoever wins Michigan State and Texas Tech, which is a toss-up. Sparty and the Red Raiders are a game that I wish happened in the national championship. I think it effectively will decide the national champion, but I wish it happened Monday night in the championship, not in the semifinals. But can we take a moment to appreciate, put your fandom aside, how unique this year's Final Four is? Who would have thought at the beginning of this season that Michigan State, Virginia, Auburn, and Texas Tech would make up the Final Four teams in college men's basketball? Who would have thought that? Virginia? Maybe. Michigan State? Yeah, people had high hopes for them. Probably higher hopes than they had midseason. Even though Sparty was playing well, they've been decimated by injury. Yeah, Sparty shouldn't be here, based on all logic, and yet here they are. 
speaks to the job Tom Izzo has done this season. I give that guy a ton of credit, and it's so hard for me to say this because of that, but if I'm voting for Coach of the Year, I'm voting for Chris Beard of Texas Tech. What that guy has done, taking a school that wasn't anywhere on the basketball map and bringing them to where they are in just three years, can't deny that. And he's been a winner everywhere he's gone. His one year at Arkansas Little Rock, he brought them to the tournament. They won 30 games that year. Chris Beard is now officially part of the upper echelon of college basketball coaches. Who could have thought at the beginning of the year that Texas Tech was going to be in the Final Four? You knew their defense was good. You know what Jared Culver's all about. But you don't get this far without top-tier coaching, and that's what Chris Beard has brought to the table. So as much as I want to vote for Izzo, I can't. He's deserving, don't get me wrong. Izzo is absolutely deserving. But I feel Chris Beard is even more deserving. Let's rewind about six months to the beginning of this season. If somebody were to ask you, what is Texas Tech good at? What are they known for as a school? What sport are they dominant in? What would you say? Their baseball team is pretty good, but how many people are going to know that? Football, they were sub-500 this year. They fired their coach. Anyone know anything else about them? This is a coach in his third year has put this school on the athletic map. You knew Izzo was going to be good. He put Michigan State on the map for athletics a long time ago. And I'm not trying to disparage Izzo, but Chris Beard literally brought a school to athletic relevancy in just three years. They took a huge step forward this season. I mean, it's weird to think about Auburn in the Final Four, too. I mean, they've been on the rise. You kind of saw this coming, but they're a football school. People know them for football, even though they had a down year this season. They've been to the national championship multiple times in the last decade. You knew Michigan State was going to be good this year. Might even consider them a title contender at the beginning of the year. You knew Virginia was going to be. You thought maybe Auburn was going to be better. They certainly took a step forward. They've exceeded expectations. But nobody thought this was going to happen for Texas Tech. And unlike those other schools... Texas Tech doesn't have any other sport going for them. This puts them back on the map athletically. This brings them back to athletic relevancy. Michigan State, great basketball school. Great in other sports as well. Virginia, great basketball program. Auburn, it's a pretty good school in both football and basketball. But what does Texas Tech have? They have college baseball and now they have basketball. Chris Beard has brought athletic relevancy to a school that hasn't had this much pride since, what, Michael Crabtree was playing football there? Michael Crabtree was the biggest source of your pride before this? To me, that deserves Coach of the Year. Unlike the other three schools in this year's Final Four, Texas Tech did not have their niche sport before this year. Yeah, they're good at baseball, and I pay attention to college baseball. It's how I know that. But let's be honest, a lot of people don't. Let's not kid ourselves. For most of the population... College sports means football and basketball. And depending on the region of the country you're in, you can say hockey too. But Texas Tech doesn't have hockey. In fact, Michigan State is the only one of these schools that has hockey. And that's not Michigan State's niche sport, let's be honest. So unlike the women's Final Four, it's very unique on the men's side. Just how unique is it? The word that people keep going to when describing this year's Final Four is weird. And for lack of a better term, I'd probably agree with that. 
It is weird, is it not? It is weird to see Texas Tech in the basketball Final Four. It's a little weird to see Auburn there. We were a freak shot away from seeing Purdue get there. That would have been weird. If Ducate didn't force overtime at the buzzer, Purdue would have been here. That would have been weird. This is a weird Final Four, and it was one shot away from being even weirder. So then what happens if a school like Texas Tech wins the national championship? What if Auburn does it their first time there? Then it's not just weird, then it's freaky. Then we're getting freaky in the Final Four. As fans of college basketball, our minds have been trained to only accept certain schools as being capable of winning a national championship. And if it's anybody else, it's weird. You'll look at schools like Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, Connecticut, Louisville, Michigan State, schools like that. Those are the schools that your brain is trained to accept as reasonable national champions. Anyone else, anyone outside the norm, is just weird. Why is that? Why do we, as college basketball fans, feel that way? We're so excited for March Madness because of the upsets, because of those Cinderella runs. But then a team does make one of them and get there. I don't know that we have any real Cinderella runs to the Final Four this year. But then they get to this stage two games away from a national basketball championship and your brain just can't process it. I mean, can you picture Texas Tech cutting down the nets on Monday? Could you picture Auburn doing it? I know I couldn't see Purdue doing it. It's hard to see Virginia cut down the nets. It's hard to picture that. So how weird is this Final Four compared to ones in years past? Let's take a look back. Last year, Villanova, Michigan, Kansas. I don't think anyone was weirded out by those three getting there. Michigan was probably the biggest surprise of those three, just because they were a five seed. And then the fourth team there was Loyola of Chicago. Remember the Ramblers? Them and Sister Jean went on that Cinderella run, came to an end at the hands of Michigan in the national semifinals. Was it weird having them there? Absolutely it was. But I don't think it's as weird as this year. Because nobody pictured Loyola actually winning the national championship. Everybody knew their run was going to end at some point. The Cinderella run wasn't going to take them to the title game. It wasn't if they'd lose, it was when they would lose. This year, though, you've got all four teams who really could win the championship this year. Texas Tech is a great team. They're well coached. They have a great defense. It might be weird seeing Texas Tech National Basketball Champions 2019, but it's only weird because it's possible. There's a pretty good chance it could happen. Could Michigan State win it? Absolutely they could, but they're expected to do so. It wouldn't be weird. It wouldn't be a surprise. Could Auburn or Virginia win the national title this year? They absolutely could. All four teams absolutely could win the national title this year, and I don't think it would surprise anybody. It might be weird to see Texas Tech or Auburn or Virginia finally get that monkey off their back that's been on there since 1982. It might be weird to see their names etched in as the national champs, but it wouldn't be surprising because all four of those teams have a real shot at winning the title this year. I don't think anybody thought Loyola was actually going to pull it off last year. Let's go back a little bit further. Two years ago, North Carolina, Gonzaga, Oregon, I don't think anyone was really surprised by those. They were all having good years. Carolina was a one seed. Gonzaga was a one seed. Oregon was a three. And then a seven seed, South Carolina. Remember the run Frank Martin went on? 
That would have been weird to see South Carolina as national champions in basketball. 2016, you had Nova, Carolina, Oklahoma, who was a two-seed that year, and then Syracuse came out of nowhere, a 10-seed. They had an awful regular season. They were a bubble team coming into Selection Sunday, and then they went on a run and got into the Final Four. But still, if Syracuse were to have won the national title that year, I don't think people were expecting it, but it wouldn't have been weird because Syracuse is what our brain has been trained to accept as a basketball school. Going back a little further, 2015, Duke, Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Kentucky were the Final Four that year. Those all sound like pretty good basketball schools, yeah? No surprises there? Wrong, Michigan State was the surprise of that Final Four because they were a seven seed. You see what I'm getting at? There is no correlation between weird and surprising. I wouldn't be surprised if Texas Tech wins a national title this year, but would it be weird? It absolutely would be weird. But you go back to the 2015 tournament and to that seven seed Spartan squad, and would it have been surprising if they won? As a seven seed, it probably would have been surprising if Michigan State would have won the national title back in 2015. But would it have been weird if they did? No. Because our brain is trained to accept Michigan State as a basketball school and Tom Izzo as a premier basketball coach. In this instance, there is no correlation between being surprised and something being weird, something being strange, being abnormal. As it works out this year, Michigan State would be the only team in this year's Final Four that I would not be surprised wins the title, nor would I think it's out of the ordinary. And that's why we love this time of the year, because of the madness. With that, let's take our first time out. When we come back, Will Teeman, the radio play-by-play voice of the Michigan State men's basketball squad, will join me. We'll break things down ahead of the Final Four this weekend in Minneapolis. Next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you, joined by Will Teeman, the radio voice of Michigan State basketball, gearing up for what should be one of the funnest weekends of Spartan fans' lives. Will, appreciate you being here. What a run it's been for Sparty and getting down to Minnesota how much fun was that Duke call the other day? How much fun did you have with that? Well, you know what? I had a lot of fun with it. And, uh, you know, it's, the thing that's been so good, Tanner, about this whole season is, is I, I just had a feeling early on, and I didn't know what it meant, but early on you could tell this was kind of a special group of people. Uh, obviously they have skills, they can play basketball, and they can do all of those sort of things. But there's something about the character makeup of this group that you just know they're they're just a little different or a little cut above most of the folks. And and I think at the end of the day, what has made this whole run so enjoyable is the fact that you're doing it with a whole group of people you really really like, and uh, and then that makes it more fun, and then you feel good for them. And and to say this team. I mean, this team has reinvented itself, thanks to Coach Izzo, about three times with all the injuries and everything. Then you go back and you think about the whole body of work today. The worst they have been all season long, despite all the pains and the injuries and the missed games by really, really good players, the worst has been all year for them. They were At one time, they were one game out of first place in the Big Ten. That's as bad as it got. And at one point, we were down three players that played 20 or more minutes 
that would devastate most teams. And for some reason, here we are. We're in the Final Four. Uh, well, you talk about how Coach had to reinvent the team after being decimated by injuries. People were writing the Spartans off saying, yeah, they've got the talent. They don't have the bodies left. How mentally tough did this team have to be to get on the run that they did? I mean, they were way mentally tough. And, and uh, it was interesting in our pregame chat with Coach Izzo, when Tom and I talked before the Duke game, we talked about that one part, that this group, it isn't tough like the Funstones that won the national championship in 2000 and they weren't bringing out football pads and all that. But mentally, this group is rock solid. Uh, they are a tough outfit. And, you know, the other thing about this, this group, it's veterans. You've got a lot of juniors, but these guys have played three years, and they understand coach's system. And so it's a very cerebral group. So when they say to a guy, okay, you can't be the four right now. You've got to be the three because somebody just got hurt. Well, in our world, that's a whole series of plays and responsibilities. But our guys know that because of all the, the hours and hours of video study. So this is a very smart group. And the other thing about this, this collection of folks, you know, we've had really good teams, obviously, under Coach Izzo. Um, but let's say we play a lesser opponent. One of those games in December where you know you're going to win, and then you win by 20 or so. We've had some of those games this year where we won by 60. And it wasn't that we were running the score. What that tells you is our guys just play basketball. They don't really look at the jersey and go, oh, Duke or somebody else. They just play basketball. And, and because of the injuries, some of the young guys have had to play more. And we find out some of these young guys are really pretty good. And, it, and, and you start lumping this all together, and you've got a, a cohesive group, great chemistry, and they totally believe in one another and trust. And the other thing, when you have a star-ridden team, um, as you know, sometimes the star just feels like he's got to be the star. Well, our, our star is Cassius Winston, our point guard, Big Ten Player of the Year, All-American. He has set a record for assist, most assists in the season in the history of Big Ten basketball this year. That's amazing. Had a lot of great guys playing in the Big Ten. He's also our top scorer at roughly 20 points a game. Think about a guy that can balance that out. He scores when he has to, but he brings his whole team along with him, dishes the ball, everybody's engaged. And, and so that makes this team an, an incredible team because it's all about team with these guys and winning. Nobody seems to really care who does what. They just want to win. And on different days, a lot of guys have stepped up. And then one of the things you mentioned, the Duke thing, which was an absolute hoot. Um, you know, they got a bunch of four-star recruits. They got a bunch of guys, they say, that they're going to go to the lottery picks. Well, the guy that beat them had no stars on his chest. The guy that ultimately beat them with the final shot of the game was some fellow that just walked on Michigan State, because he loved Michigan State. That's Kenny Goins. There's a guy that made four three-point shots his whole career until this year because of all the injuries. He had to switch his spot, and he needed to be an outside shooter. He's become one of the best three-point shooters in the entire conference, not to mention he's our top rebounder. So does Kenny Goins have any stars on his chest? No. 
but he's the fourth best rebounder in the Big Ten, and he made the shot that sent Duke home. Will, tell me about the team's reaction on Selection Sunday when they found out they would be a two-seed instead of a one. Did they carry a chip on their shoulder from it? Oh, I think so. And, you know, the entire sports fraternity was outraged by the ineptness of the selection committee. I mean, here's a team that was a co-champ Big Ten regular season. Here's a team that won the Big Ten tournament. Here's a team that had won more quad one games, which everybody said was so important, more quad one wins than any team in major college basketball. And they stuck as as a two seed in a region where we would play the number one, number one seed. So we were the number two, two seed. We shouldn't even been in that bracket. Um, probably should have been the number one seed because what they did to us was disrespect to the whole Big Ten Conference. Are you telling me the ACC is so good that they get three number ones? And I want somebody to explain to me, if Gonzaga was in the Big Ten, would they have more than three losses for the year? I absolutely know they would because we played them in a private scrimmage at the beginning of the season. And so I think this selection committee did a horrible job. I think they disrespected our conference. And the best they had was they, they talked about geography. Not geography in the, in the first sites, the second sites. Think about this. We, you, we travel in airplanes. So 100 miles is another 10 minutes in an airplane. They're talking about time zones. Well, we're in a conference with two time zones. We're a team that's played basketball games in Germany, and they want to talk to me about time zones? Uh, We've had games in December where we were in California and two days later in Madison Square Garden. And so at one time did that selection committee talk about the body of work. They talked about this peripheral stuff. It made no sense whatsoever. So you want to talk about a chip, you better bet, because there was a total showing of disrespect for our conference, and especially Michigan State. And that selection committee should be ashamed of themselves because the whole idea of seeding teams is to reward them for what they've accomplished. And these guys accomplished a great deal. And I don't think they got to adjust too, but despite that committee, this ball club, beat the best team, I think, in the tournament, which was Duke. Now, there's a real shot. Talking with Will Teeman, the radio play-by-play voice of the Michigan State men's basketball team ahead of the Final Four. Will, tell me about Tom Izzo, because a lot's been made about the situation that happened the opening weekend of the tournament between him and freshman Aaron Henry. By all accounts, Coach is a very personable, class-act individual. Thanks the cheerleaders, thanks the band after the game. Tell me what Coach is like away from the bench. Off the court, he is um, he is not a screaming and yelling crazy guy that he can be at times, as people think he is, during a game. Uh, the best way to describe him away from the court, think about this. We have player reunions, at, and, and he tried to create a family atmosphere, which he's done. He has hundreds of former players come back, managers trainers. We have a priest who is a manager. He lives in St. Louis. He comes back all the time. And so hundreds and hundreds of people come back every year because they love this guy. The other thing about him is he's tough. If you're going to play for him, you better be tough. 
because he's going to push you to make you the best you can be. But the kids that come to Michigan State, they know who Tom Izzo is. They know what he's about, and they, and they openly welcome it because they know what the deal is. But yet, when basketball is done, whether it's moving on to another level of basketball or it's time to take your degree and get a job, he's the first guy on the phone to help you. And one of the reasons why these players love him so much is they know, despite his um, toughness at times, he has their back 100%. And so, and the other interesting thing about the basketball environment at Michigan State, I've been here a long time now, and not one time has Tom Izzo ever said to me, Will, you gotta, you got to try harder. you got to try harder. But yet when you walk into that basketball building, if you don't try the best, if you don't give everything you got, if you don't walk into a game to broadcast or play totally prepared, now, Hey, some days are better than others. Nobody's perfect. But if you haven't given your effort to be ready, you feel guilty. You feel like you're cheating the system. Think about a guy that can create that atmosphere and not say one word to you. That's unbelievable. So I'd say uh, all these things you hear about him that are good, they're all true. I mean, is he Mother Teresa? No, but he's pretty special. Will, any moment for you that sticks out that's been maybe your favorite to be behind the mic for? You know, look how lucky I've been. We've had, we have had so many, so many major moments. Uh, you know, I, I thought about that, you know, the other day, like, wow, like, what's Tom Izzo's best coaching year? What's my favorite team? What's my favorite moment? Um, and you know what? There are so many, you can't, you can't pick one. What you tend to do, though, is if we, when you have a magic moment, and I think this is universal amongst all broadcasters, when that magic moment comes, and you never know when it's coming, uh, did you really capture the moment? Did you relay it the way it really was, or did you muff it? You know, like like missing a free throw on costumes, you guys the game, did you did you keep, did you really capture the moment, or didn't you? And um, so I tend to think of those things a little bit. And here's the fun thing for me about radio. Uh, I love radio. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the medium where you don't have 82 cameras and 15 replay machines. It's just you and somebody listening. You're talking to somebody. You're just talking about basketball. It's, it's a very intimate medium because it's just, it's a voice and a listener, you know? So, um, a buddy of mine lives in Grand Haven, Michigan. And this is when we were playing Tennessee and we made the final shot to win the game. And that got us to the final four and in Detroit. No, got us to the final four in Indy. So he told me as soon as I declared the shot good and we beat Maryland at the buzzer, he said people all over downtown Grand Haven were tooting their horn. Now think about that. All those people are waiting for me to say good or bad. And when it goes through the basket, they're jumping in their cars, they're tooting their horns, they're all fired up. And that's the one story that I always remember. In that same sequence, our last, our youngest child, uh, 
Wendy had to, to pick Audrey up from some school function. She was a little, little tight then. And uh, it was a Corey Lucius shot at the last second to beat Maryland. And so Wendy's driving home. She's listening. And I, and I say, he got it. We win the game, whatever. And she's screaming and yelling in the car. And poor Audrey thought her mom was mad at her. So, I mean, these are the things I kind of remember more than just the last play. Um, and I, I thought our broadcast in the two games, and when I talk about the broadcast, I'm talking about all of us. Uh, I thought we really captured the moment from beginning to end there. And so those are the things you feel good about. Our network has won a lot of MAB awards. We're proud of that. But as far as one moment, I, I, I don't think I have one. But I just have some good stories. Will Tiemann is the radio play-by-play voice for the Michigan State men's basketball team talking with us ahead of the Final Four this weekend in Minneapolis. Will, wishing you and the Spartans all the best. We'll be tuning in. Well, you guys, it was good good talking with you. And hopefully uh, this time next week uh, we're national champs. We'd love to have you on again sometime, and hopefully we can discuss your national championship coming up. There you go. Sounds good. Take care, Tanner. We'll take a timeout. More after this on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you Tuesday afternoon. Here is your Sports Center update. North Carolina has placed Hall of Fame women's basketball coach Sylvia Hatchell and three of her assistants on administrative leave due to issues raised by student-athletes and others. That's a direct quote from the university spokesman. Good news for a coach, though. John Calipari receives a lifetime contract from the University of Kentucky amid speculation that UCLA was going to come knocking or maybe even the NBA. Calipari, who's won 305 career games at the helm of UK, is going to be their coach as long as he's breathing. And finally, Tesla CEO Elon Musk has released a rap single performed as a tribute to Harambe, the late gorilla who was killed at a zoo back in 2016. So the rap single is already a viral hit. It debuts about three years after the fact and about two years after people stopped making Harambe an internet sensation. And largely that was because he got quite a few votes in the presidential election and people weren't happy with that. Two big signings for Detroit pro sports teams over the last 24 hours. The Detroit Lions are bringing in running back C.J. Anderson and the Red Wings are extending the contract of head coach Jeff Blaschel for another two years. Why didn't L.A. resign him? They're letting their lead rusher in the postseason go. Well, they've still got Todd Gurley. Joking aside, isn't this a little bit of a risk for the Rams, though? We don't know what Gurley's status is going forward, how that knee is going to hold up. That was really hampering him down the stretch in the last postseason. C.J. Anderson took the load off his back, and he was a big reason why they got to the Super Bowl. So what if worst-case scenario happens and Gurley isn't the same running back that he was? Then what? Then who do you turn to? Just let your top option go? Especially when you've got an offensive line that got old real quick. They aged so rapidly during their 18 games last year. They might have put on 40 years between them. They just looked like they got so much older and banged up. So it works out that Anderson is heading to Detroit. It worked out in a weird way. He played pretty well last season, especially in the postseason. 28 years old, he played in five games last year, ran for 488 yards and four TDs. He played well enough that I'm surprised he was still out on the free agent market this long. 
He did about everything right last season in terms of upgrading his stock value. He performed well enough last season. He would be a guy who deserves to be signed. I thought he would be a hot commodity this offseason. You can't tell me that all running backs already with NFL teams are better than him. I mean, he's better than some of those guys. So look at the situation he comes into in Detroit. He's matched up with Kerryon Johnson, a guy who's really burst on the scene, looks like he could be a top-tier running back in the NFL someday. He really looks good. Now you give him a nice compliment with C.J. Anderson. He's the big bruiser, the red zone type back. And when you get a nice bounce like that, that's tough to stop. There's a lot to like about C.J. Anderson. This is a great signing for Detroit. They bring him in on a one-year deal, but it's weird because they didn't want him. They actually wanted Gurley's other backup, and so did the Rams. Malcolm Butler was the other running back that the Rams carried last season. The Lions tried to get him, but the Rams matched their offer, and he chose to stick with L.A. I don't know why it took C.J. Anderson this long to land with the team. Maybe there's something going on behind the scenes there. I don't know. But he's a good enough player. I'm surprised it took him this long. And I see him doing good things here in Detroit. I think this was a fantastic signing by the front office. Yesterday was a big day for NFL running backs. Alfred Blue was signed to a one-year deal by Jacksonville yesterday, formerly played for Houston. And Duke Johnson requests a trade from the Cleveland Browns. Why wouldn't he? When Kareem Hunt comes back in eight games plus, you got to fight for the backup role with Chubb. So if you're in the market for a running back, Duke Johnson is still out there. Still with plan to contribute to a squad. Expect the Browns to be hearing offers for him. The NFL draft right around the corner. Less than a month till you'll be hearing this sound. I love that sound. I love that jingle. And I can't wait for the draft to get up here. See how the NFL changes and see how these odds change. The Vegas odds makers at Sportsbook have come out with their win projections for each NFL team. Here are a few notables. New England with 11. Kansas City, the L.A. Rams, and New Orleans all 10.5. The L.A. Chargers with 10. The Bears, the Colts, the Eagles all at 9.5. The Browns, the Packers, the Steelers, and the Vikings all at 9. So what about the Lions? Right now, they're sitting at 7. Sportsbook is projecting Detroit will go 7-9 and nine next year. And again, the Packers at 9-7. and seven. Again, all this is according to Vegas, and all of it is subject to change. Vegas is predicting an 11-5 season for New England, same as last year. Everyone thought the sky was falling and the dynasty was over when that happened last season. They go on a run and win the Super Bowl. Are we going to be the same way? The rest of the Final Four from last year's season, the Rams, the Saints, and the Chiefs all projected to win 10.5 games. Take that any way you want. It's always a given. You look at the Final Four every season, it is always a given that one of those teams is going to take a major step back. Who's that going to be this year? It's not going to be the Patriots. It's not going to be Kansas City. Both those teams are built up pretty well. New Orleans has done a good job of keeping the core from the team that should have gone to the Super Bowl last season. And in the process, they freed up a bunch of cap space. They were lowest in the league in cap space entering the offseason. Now they've worked themselves right around the 21-22 mark. Plus, they have Drew Brees. If anyone's taken a step back out of the Final Four from last year's NFL season, it is the Rams. They have to rebuild on defense. They got to get that offensive line back in shape. And they got to hope that Todd Gurley is going to be Todd Gurley going forward. Not playoff Todd Gurley from last year. 
Not the knee-banged-up, injured Todd Gurley. They need the Todd Gurley that they drafted out of Georgia. If any of those four teams is in danger of taking a step back, it's L.A. It's the Rams. Switching gears to hockey, the big news out of Detroit today. The Red Wings have extended the contract of head coach Jeff Blaschel for two more years. Detroit is currently sitting sixth place in the Atlantic Division at 31, 38, and 10. They have been eliminated from postseason contention. They've got three games left, including tonight's against Pittsburgh. That game will drop the puck at 7.30, a game that means a lot more for the Penguins than it does for the Wings. If Pittsburgh wins, they clinch a playoff spot. So Blaschel's career record at the NHL level is 135, 143, and 47. People agree that he is a good coach, but he's in a situation that requires a lot of patience. Rebuilds aren't easy, and in hockey, front offices and fan bases are not patient. So we went to Twitter to find out what our listeners thought of the move. Was this a good move or a bad move by Detroit General Manager Ken Holland to offer the two-year extension to Jeff Blaschel, keep him around as the Wings head coach? 73% of the listening audience said this is a bad move. We know Blaschel can coach. We know that. Everywhere he's gone, he's been a winner. He's won a Clark Cup. He's won a Calder Cup. He made the NCAA tournament during his only year at Western Michigan. He can coach if you give him some talent on that roster and pieces to work with. And that's what the Red Wings see in him. And that's why they're making this move. So no, the record's not impressive. But Detroit's got to be trusting the process. Like it or not, love this move or not, I know 73% of you do not like this move. you got to trust the process. And it's one of the hardest things to do in hockey. Because hockey coaches, in and out the door like that, you don't get time to rebuild. This is a very unique situation. But I tell you what, it's a pretty enviable one for a lot of coaches. You have a GM who is giving you the opportunity to rebuild from the ground up. You're not making the playoffs, you're not contending... For a GM to still have that trust in you says a lot about what the Wings are going for. Blaschel can coach, and I do believe he's the right guy for Detroit. And I give Ken Holland a ton of credit for allowing the coach to do his job. He recognizes the cabinet's pretty empty, and he's going to let this guy build something special. I think Red Wing fans are going to be pretty pleased at the finished product when they see how Blaschel builds his team up. And maybe 73% of the listening audience who didn't like this move, maybe they recognize Blaschel can coach. Maybe they didn't like this move because that means Coach Q is not coming to Detroit. A lot of people wanted Joe Quenville, recently fired by the Chicago Blackhawks. I'll tell you what, Coach Q is one of the best coaches of all time. Not just in the league right now, but he is one of the greatest of all time. And I don't know that he would do a whole lot better with the current Red Wings roster. I mean, you look at that team, it's pretty bad. I don't want to disparage Red Wing fans, but your roster's pretty bad. Gustav Nyquist isn't there anymore. You were sellers. It's a skeleton crew now. But you're investing in your youth. You've got a goalie that went to the All-Star game this year. There's a lot to feel good about and be optimistic about. And when you're a struggling franchise, no matter what the sport is, you sell optimism. That's how you get butts in the seats. By selling optimism, you've got to pitch the future to your fan base. Here's the thing, though, when the Red Wings do try to pitch that to you as a fan, it's not an empty promise. It's not empty optimism or false hope. Nobody likes rebuilding. Nobody likes losing. Nobody likes a lost season. But I tell you what, if I'm a Red Wings fan, I'm not. But if I were, I feel pretty good about where my team is right now because they're building something special over there. 
So in that sense, I like the move that was made here. I like the move of extending Jeff Blaschel. I've seen firsthand what this guy can do. I spent some time in the USHL. Blaschel is a former head coach of the Indiana Ice. Won a title with them. The guy can coach. Everywhere he's been, he's been a winner. Gotta believe there's a method to the madness. That there's something cooking between him and Ken Holland. It does make you wonder, if not Detroit, where Coach Q will land, though. Guy's too good to not be coaching somewhere next year. We'll finish this thing off when we come back. We'll touch on the news stories you may not have heard of, but we'll make sure that you do. Next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you on your Tuesday afternoon. Well, getting back to college basketball, the AP All-American team is out. And as you could expect, Duke is well represented on first team. Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett are the first pair of true freshman teammates to earn first team AP All-American honors since John Wall and Boogie Cousins did so at Kentucky. In addition to Zion and R.J., here is the first team. Grant Williams out of Tennessee, John Morant from Murray State, and Cassius Winston, the Michigan State junior from Detroit. He averaged 19 points a game, 7.5 assists, 40.4% from behind the arc this year, and 84% at the foul line. Very much deserving. Here is the All-America second team as put together by the Associated Press. Roy Achimura from Gonzaga, Jarrett Culver from Texas Tech, Marcus Howard of Marquette, Wisconsin's Ethan Happ, and Purdue's Carson Edwards make up the second team All-America. Third team, DeAndre Hunter from Virginia, Dedrick Lawson from Kansas, Brandon Clark from Gonzaga, Kentucky's P.J. Washington, and Virginia's Kyle Guy. Honorable mention, Ignis Brasdakis, freshman at Michigan. That is a look at the AP All-America team. Again, just came out earlier today. Tell us what you thought of the All-America list. Tweet the show at ESPNUP on Twitter. Send us your thoughts. Did they get it right? Were the top five the guys that deserved it? RJ, Zion, John Morant, Grant Williams, and Cassius. You wonder about John Morant. Yeah, he was a fantastic scorer, no doubt about it. But do you think that there was a little bit of controversy that he got bounced in the second round, or I should say his team got bounced in the second round? You think some people might have had issue with him being a first-team All-American, yet his team didn't play after the first weekend of the tournament? To me, I think he is a better player than Grant Williams. I don't know that either of them are first-team All-America, that being said, I still don't think he is the most controversial player on that list. And again, I don't really think anybody's controversial. I think for the most part, they came up with a pretty good list. But if there is any question to who deserves to be on there or not, Grant Williams might be the biggest one for me. To me, he just didn't take over the game with the status of being a first-team All-America player. In fact, if we're going to be influenced by how each participant's team did in the tournament, I would think Carson Edwards has a better case to get in at first team over Grant Williams. Purdue beat Tennessee in the head-to-head. That's what's happening in college basketball. Let's switch to the MLB because a lot has been happening in baseball today. Ronald Acuna Jr., the reigning National League Rookie of the Year, was given an eight-year, $100 million contract extension to stay with the Atlanta Braves. Locking the young gun up. The young gun who is going to be the face of that franchise if he's not already. 
Shouldn't that be Dansby Swanson? Wasn't that supposed to be Dansby Swanson? Lieutenant Dans is still around, but this is Acuna's team. Elsewhere, Kevin Pillar had been garnering interest from the San Francisco Giants. A deal has officially been made, and Pillar is heading to the Bay Area, and he's going to provide some much-needed help in the outfield for San Francisco, a team that's really mismanaged their outfield personnel over the last few years. Which guys they were going to hang on to, which guys they hung on to too long. But they pick up a speedy, defensive-minded outfielder from Toronto. In exchange, they send over Alan Hansen. The Toronto Blue Jays are quietly entering one of the most vast rebuilds that we've seen in all of sports. Since last year alone, they have traded away Russell Martin and Josh Donaldson. They bought out Troy Tulowitzki, and they let Jose Batista and Edwin Encarnacion walk for nothing. They just let them go into the free agency. And now they get rid of Kevin Pillar. He was one of the few pieces left from the 2015 team that won the AL East. But Toronto's far from that. They're a far cry from the team that they had four years ago. And they're going towards an extensive rebuild. Why now, though? They made it clear in the offseason that they were going to be a rebuilding team. Why make this move now five games into the season? A 2-3 and three start of the season and you trade away your top defensive outfielder, one of the top defensive outfielders in all of baseball. They have a better record than the Red Sox right now, the defending world champions. Kevin Pillar is an asset, and there are teams that are interested in him. It would not be hard to find a team that would love to have Kevin Pillar. So why now? Why didn't this get done in the offseason? I'm not criticizing the Blue Jays. I'm just confused. The timing in the move doesn't make sense to me. They've gutted their ball club. It's almost like we are going to go into total rebuild mode just five games in the year. We're going to give up on the last 157. Maybe they already had before this move was made. But why get rid of Pilar now? And if you're going to send away Pilar, do you think they could have got something better back for him? I'm not surprised this move happened. I saw it coming. I'm just surprised it happened five games into the season. Elsewhere, the Alliance of American Football suspended operations indefinitely this afternoon. The AAF is on its way to folding. Has not done anything official yet, but we all saw the writing on the walls and we all knew in the back of our minds the AAF was not going to last. This league, which had a fantastic TV deal, had some great people backing it, had some recognizable names in the league, recognizable coaches, and it still can't survive. The XFL is never going to survive if the AAF cannot. Again, it is not official, but the AAF is on its way to shutting down. It's on its way to closing its doors, not even going to make it through its first season. Which is too bad, because I thought there were a lot of benefits to the AAF. Gives a lot of guys a chance like a minor league system. And that's why I'd like to see the NFL step in here and adopt the AAF as essentially its minor league organization. And people aren't going to watch the AAF in the fall, so they do the right thing they play in the spring. Why would people watch the AAF's product when there's a better product that the NFL puts on? So they do it in the spring, they get an agreement put in place with the NFL that they can send these guys on to the NFL. It's a feeder system, essentially a minor league system. That's why I'd like to see the NFL and the NFLPA step in and save this league. Because there's a lot of benefit to it. A lot of these players, this is their last chance. How about a guy like Johnny Manziel? This is his last shot. 
And now it looks like the league is folding. He's two games into his AAF career. Guys like Trent Richardson, who are tearing it up in the AAF, hoping maybe there's still a shot for me in the NFL. I don't know if Trent Richardson will ever get back to the NFL, but if the AAF folds, that's a huge blow to guys in his situation, guys who were once maybe in the NFL and are doing their darndest to work their way back. To me, that's the biggest benefit of the AAF. It's not about the product or what they're able to put on the field, but it's about these guys getting a second chance. It's essentially last chance you for professional football players. They get another chance to get back into the NFL. And without this league, they don't have that opportunity here in America. The Arena Football League, I mean, that's more of a spectacle. It's not a feeder league for the NFL. You just don't have that kind of opportunity in this country. You'd have to go north to Canada. To me, that's the worst part of the AAF folding. Because regardless of the quality of football or the product they put on, it gave these men an opportunity. And it looks like that's going to be taken away from them. After this organization generated so much hope, just like that, they're back to square one. We saw the AAF coming, but nobody saw the Canadian Women's Hockey League announcing they will be discontinuing operations effective May 1st, less than a month until the Professional Women's League in Canada will disband. Nobody saw that coming. It's a 16 league. They just finished up their 12th year. They're broadcast on three different TV stations up north. And all of a sudden, how less secure about things do you feel? Where not even hockey can make it in Canada. Doesn't that just give you a sense of anxiety, of insecurity about everyday things? If hockey, high-quality professional hockey, can't survive in Canada, not some slapstick outdoor league in a small town, but a place where they take hockey as seriously as life itself, their pro league can't survive up there, it gives you a little sense of insecurity about the world. I don't like it. I don't like it. But the benefit to it is that it benefits the American Professional League. The National Women's Hockey League, which just added Minnesota last year, getting their team total to five, will be expanding to seven as quickly as next season. Earlier today, it was approved that two Canadian teams are going to play south of the border. The Toronto Furies and the Les Canadiens de Montreal will be playing in the National Women's Hockey League. So the American Professional League, still relatively in its infancy, will grow to seven teams. So that's a little bit of good news, despite the unfortunate news of the AAF suspending operations likely forever. With that, we are out of time. As always, appreciate you hanging out with me on your afternoons. Looking forward to being back with you tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central on ESPN-UP and online with our app. Don't forget, you can get the app for free at the Apple iStore or Google Play. Be sure to check out the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of the show today, or any show, you can go back to the on-demand section of the free mobile app, hear this show, and plenty of others. That is it for us once again. Appreciate you tuning in. Signing off from the ESPN-UP WZAM studios, I'm Tanner Hoops. Enjoy the Will Kane Show.